Hello and welcome to BJGP Interviews. My name is Ewan Lawson. In this episode, we have Dr. Sharon Dixon, who's a GP and researcher at the Nuffield Department of Primary Care Health Sciences at the University of Oxford. And the paper that we are talking about is one published in the BJGP, Navigating Possible Endometriosis in Primary Care, a Qualitative Study of GP Perspectives. And that research was funded by the NIHR School of Primary Care Research. We know that there are documented time lags between women presenting to primary care with symptoms suggesting endometriosis and when they receive a diagnosis. It's certainly the narrative that appears in the media. So I started by asking Sharon to tell us a little bit more about the background uh, to endometriosis and these delays in diagnosis. That story about the delays in diagnosis or these incredibly difficult diagnoses, sort of journeys to diagnosis that we know women encounter and women experience are critically important, and that's a really big part of where we did the study. So endometriosis is the abnormal presence of endometrial tissue outside the uterus. And while the exact prevalence isn't known, it probably affects 6 to 10% of women of reproductive age, and that's much higher in women with chronic pelvic pain or subfertility. And, and some really great and really important primary care research and also narratives from women sh- has, has shown that there can be this long time period between when people first come to a GP with their symptoms and when they're ultimately receiving their um, diagnosis of endometriosis. And that's obviously really important because that can represent years of living in pain and years of living with uncertainty. Actually, I think both for women and for clinicians, but obviously critically for the women living in pain and, and people experiencing difficult symptoms. It's also associated with healthcare costs and there are lots of reasons why this felt like a really important area to look into. Because while we've kind of got these documented delays, what we couldn't find any evidence about was almost the sort of deliberative processes in primary care or how this was happening. And so while there have been calls for kind of better education and increased awareness in primary care to help reduce those delays, we felt that we could maybe explore further how GPs were approaching it that might help us develop some maybe more nuanced support or a slightly more granular understanding of what was happening and how this was occurring so that we could sort of tailor an understanding about it. And we knew that knowing how best to educate health professionals about endometriosis in order to try and reduce delays in diagnosis wasn't known because it was identified as one of the top three research priorities in endometriosis by the James Lindelow um, Association Priority Setting Partnership in 2017. So, yeah, putting all of that together, that's what we did. We set out to talk to GPs around England. It's an interesting position, isn't it? Because we know there are delays. That's definitely a fact. And I, I think you're hit on a really important point there and one that we're careful with with the journal. That it's far too easy just to say, oh, more education is needed, more awareness is needed. And actually what we really need is a much more fine-grained, as you say, granular understanding of what, what's going on in the processes with GPs and actually what will make a difference rather than just slinging a lot, slinging a lot of educational mud at the wall and hoping for the best. So that leads us to your study. So tell us a little bit more about what you did and what you found. Well, yeah, no, you're 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 absolutely right. I think I think um, should you want a spoiler, I think we set out wondering whether it might be a little bit more complicated than that, and um, that that um, should you wish to leave early is also possibly the answer. <laughs> um, but yeah, we wanted to see how health professionals would sort of approach the process of breaking down this journey and supporting someone through a journey. Um, so we spoke to 42, there was a qualitative interview study, and we spoke to 42 GPs in five clinical research network regions around England. And we chose them to try and pick up a variety of access to secondary and tertiary care, where the specialist endometriosis centres were or weren't, 
um, in Rook to, to pick up rural and urban settings and also to pick up sort of a range of experiences. We recruited through those networks, not women's health networks, and we completely recognised that the GPs we spoke to had an interest in this and had an interest in speaking to us. Um, but we didn't recruit through dedicated women's health networks, trying to really speak to non-special interest frontline GPs and that that was who we spoke to. And we were amazed to be able to speak to 42 GPs. Um, it, was, it was fantastic. And we told them that we were looking into this question because it wasn't a test of knowledge. What we were trying to explore was how they thought about and how they approached all of their knowledge across all the conditions to think about approaching a woman who presents with undifferentiated symptoms. And so to that end, we started our conversation with the GPs we spoke to with a kind of fictional scenario of a patient who was 28, who'd come with terrible, terrible periods that were really impacting on her and that she'd never seen a doctor about before. But we let GPs expand the narrative and fill in bits as they as they did. And we just said, how would you begin? How would you start to approach this clinical presentation? So I guess the first big thing we heard about when somebody's presenting with completely unsorted symptoms is that there's a very wide range of possible explanations for the symptoms. And that considering all of those and working through what might be relevant to the person in front of you is actually a process that takes time and it reasonably takes time. GPs reflected on the diagnostic hierarchy, you know, the need to sort of exclude the most sinister or the life critical things, so ectopic pregnancy, severe infections, considering red flags and cancer as the sort of opening hierarchy, if you like, of the things that had to be ruled out first, and then moving on to consider other things. And I think we therefore already start to see a picture that it wasn't that they weren't thinking about it. It's that when somebody presents with completely undifferentiated symptoms that could be, as GPs were saying, almost anything at that first presentation. There is a process and it takes some time. It wasn't lack of consideration or awareness for most. Um, so I think I think that will be obvious to every GP listening, um, but possibly just worth sort of almost putting it down as a place marker, that that's a really important part of the process in primary care. Another really important consideration was what the woman wanted and expected, um, how much she wanted to go into exploring her symptoms, what her current priorities were, and how that underpinned then these shared decisions about next tests, next treatments, next steps. Um, and that I think that was really important as well. And again, these are all things that maybe might not be identified looking backwards from the delay but that GPs were accounting for as, as important steps that they would work through. Yeah. It might be worth just, uh, there's lots in this study, like any high quality qualitative research, there's an awful lot we can cover in only limited time. I thought it might be worth jumping at this point almost to some of the, the tips for GPs in terms of the practical things that they could do to consider when caring for women with possible endometriosis or with um, women who've got that sort of lived experience. And there's a very nice box in the paper that I would steer people towards that if they're looking for the practical examples, but I wonder if you could talk a little bit about those. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. I mean, one of the complicated things about endometriosis is that it's hugely variable um, in terms of the symptoms it prevents with, in terms of the needs at the time, in terms of the severity. Um, and we were very mindful when we were doing this piece of work that we wanted to support GPs. 
but primarily we want to support GPs as well to help them, enable them to help women get the care that would help them. Um, so it was really important to us that we made sure we knew how we could best use our results. So to that end, we met with and shared them with a fantastic patient and public advisory um, group uh, supported through the world, who we were able to identify through the Royal College of Obs and Gynae uh, Women's Voices Project. And I'm eternally grateful to them for their help in thinking about how we could almost make this as useful as possible. And so with them and with their input, and um, we developed some tips for GPs. Um, so, so they included recognising, and again, I think this will be obvious to GPs, but it is so important. I think it's helpful to think about it. But although somebody's coming to you at the first encounter with pain, they may have been living with that pain for months or years. Um, and I know that GPs often ask about what the decision-making point was about coming to seek care and coming to ask for help. Um, but the women we spoke to felt that just acknowledging how long somebody may have been living with this pain and these difficult symptoms for before they'd even thought about making an appointment was really important to them. They thought the whole account of all the experiences of their symptoms were really important. So recognising they might be across more than one system, recognising that they might be non-cyclical, recognising that the non-gynecological symptoms might actually be dominant, helping them put them together. And actually, they felt that being asked to compile symptom diaries or symptom accounts could be really helpful for GPs to help identify patterns and bring things together but that it could also be incredibly validating for women to be asked for that much detail and to be given that opportunity to really put the picture together. Continuity of something that was hugely valued actually by the GPs we spoke to and women and a real recognition that when you're facing one of these actually difficult diagnoses to make because it can be so many things and the presentations are so variable that how you hold what you put in the paper and what you put in the records and what you've been thinking about in your mind, if they're seen subsequently by a number of difficult clinicians, could be really difficult. So continuity method, I think, across the board and strategies to optimise that were really important. So actually, one of the things we heard was that proactively saying, I want you to try this and then I want you to come back. I want to know what's happened next. Let's book a follow up um, was something that was really valued by our PPI advisors. Very important to them that we didn't make assumptions about what was important to them or what they needed. And that included things like about sexuality or reproductive intentions or reproductive fears. And that was both for now and ongoing into the future. Better just to ask. Again, I think that would be familiar to, to GPs. It was very important to them that we understood that while distress can drive pain that was a really important assumption not to make and it was really important to recognize that it might well be the other way around or it might dominantly be the other way around that these really difficult prolonged experiences of pain were absolutely driving the stress and distress we heard a lot from gps which we could come back to about how to approach conversations about endometriosis when you introduce it as a possibility and how you can use that to enable onward care um, and it was really helpful to reflect on that with our PPI advisors. And what they said was absolutely brilliant to respond. If women's worried, if they ask about endometriosis, please, please respond. But if they haven't, and you're thinking about it and you're aware of it, really helpful to introduce it as a possibility. Be clear about that, but it's really enabling. You can recognise that there's some uncertainty about the quality of information. It's difficult, perhaps, to share a possible diagnosis when you don't know how much that applies to the person in front of them, either because you don't know if it's their diagnosis or not, or you don't know how the evidence about that diagnosis 
can be kind of individualized to the person in front of you. And that's a challenge. Um, but they felt more enabling to share that information and allow that as a framework to talk about possibilities and plan next steps. Trials of treatment. And again, this was something I heard a lot about from both the GPs and the women. Really important, sanctioned in nice guidance. I think I referred to in my paper where we did reflect on an important area of uncertainty, which is kind of what you do if the trial of treatment is successful. So if you give a trial of treatment and someone's symptoms are very well controlled, I think that perhaps does leave primary care with some uncertainty. And um, certainly that was an area where a number of GPs really wished for guidance. But what was very clear was that for a trial of treatment to be useful as a diagnostic and therapeutic intervention, that it needed to be supported with open conversation and good communication and a really good follow-up plan. And I think that picks up all the points about follow-up appointments and a shared understanding of, of what you're doing. Um, but, you know, really powerful reflections that if you're saying try this for three months, try it for six months, you know, time can slip by. Um, and while that is, you know, it's absolutely sanctioning guidance as a perfectly appropriate thing to do, important that you have a shared understanding of when to come back and what to do if it doesn't help and when to ask the next questions if, if they want to be asked. Um, and really keeping an open door. You know, I think one of the things, again, that we reflected on is endometriosis is a, can be a long-term condition and a long-term journey. And the majority of the evidence comes from secondary care. But in primary care, we hold those journeys, you know, kind of for the long haul. And that's before periods of secondary care involvement, during periods of secondary care involvement, and often after and in between intermittent episodes of secondary care involvement. And that open door role for primary care to have ongoing knowledge, ongoing advocacy, actually, is really valuable and valued. Sharon, that's incredibly useful. You've just done a fabulous run through of those tips there. And I, I think I've, I'm... I'm I'm not sure I can add too much more. I think maybe we'll just need to wrap up, but perhaps have you got any final messages about your research or any actions that you'd encourage for GPs or how we might do things differently for the future? Uh, GPs were absolutely understood that women who wanted to diagnosis were wholly supportive of that and they could identify a huge number of advantages for them actually as clinicians in terms of confidence, in terms of how they could focus and tailor care about having a really good strategy to support current and possible future risks and, and health needs. Um, they could identify lots of reasons from their experience why it was helpful for patients. So I don't think they ever wanted to, I mean, certainly GPs were actively saying, we understand that it's important, but it is a complex journey to get there. And not every woman wants one. Some women would rather not have a laparoscopy or referral to hospital. Some women might be happy with symptom control. These were the suggestions that... Um, that I was hearing about from speaking to GPs. And I think, I think for the GPs that I spoke to, it wasn't as much, I mean, they, they, it wasn't what they didn't know, it was that they also knew what wasn't known. And so they were holding their knowledge and the uncertainties and using them in shared decision-making. I think what it, I came out of this thinking, well, certainly, firstly, how powerful being able to benefit from the wisdom of GPs um, and, and people with lived experience and how, how helpful it felt like it had been to bring those together. Um, and that having primary care research that maybe picks up accounts of people that aren't as well represented in endometriosis research, so people who might not have wanted referral. Because I think it's, um, and, and 
that's perhaps slightly dominated from from people who are in fertility services or specialist services. And it made me feel like balancing the narratives um, across a range of experiences might resonate with GPs' experiences and, again, might help us have better shared decision-making resources and slightly more granular evidence and guidance with which to have those open conversations with our patients. So that's what I came out wondering. (laughs) Well, that's fantastic. Sharon, I'm going to stop there, but I just want to say thank you very much for coming on today. Yeah, that's been really wonderful and um, really useful research. And I encourage everyone to, uh, to go and read it. And I think there's lots there that they can put into practice. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening to this BJGP podcast. The original research papers and articles can be found at bjgp.org. The show notes and podcast audio can be found at bjgplife.com. Do share if you've enjoyed it. Subscribe via all the usual places, including Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or your podcaster of choice. Thanks again.